Welcome to the Russell Westcott Podcast, helping real estate investors like you acquire the inspiration, knowledge, and skills that you need to start, grow, and scale the real estate investing portfolio of your dreams. Today on the show... Did a little digging and I noticed that, you know, the current owner had owned it for 30 plus years. He's had it, a six unit building, you know, great area, but, you know, quite run down because he, I mean, he owned it for a long time. He's had some long-term tenants. Uh, he had some drug dealers living in there as well. So, I mean, there's his motivation for selling. He had this place a long time, probably paid it off several times. And, you know, now he's got to deal with these, uh, all this, you know, nonsense tenant, which he doesn't want. So put it up for sale. Hey guys, another brand new episode here for you on the Russell Westcott podcast and YouTube channel. So crazy fun story here for you. This one um, was a wonderful conversation I have with one of my clients, one of my coaching clients, Kevin Bunzeluk. And, uh, you know, we get into a little bit of the backstory at the start of this episode, but it's a cool story. So really, at the end of the day, we're, we're, we're diving into a case study of, of a couple transactions. Now, I guess the really big theme that I could call for this video and podcast episode would be the power of creative real estate. Like if you truly are creative on how you structure your deals, it's amazing what can happen with just putting one deal together on how just one transaction can be a, la a launch pad and even a, or a better word would be even a linchpin towards multiple different layers of transaction. Kevin talked about here in this episode, he talked about one property that was on the MLS that anybody had an access to see it. Most people um, even went and saw it. Kevin, even as a realtor, took a client to go see the property um, and represent, was representing the client. Just not everybody could see the potential on this one property. I'm not going to give all the details of the story, but suffice it to say this one property, one of many that Kevin has bought, um, turned into be a huge home run, which then parlayed into a doing some renovation work, getting new tenants, getting some drug dealers out, uh, refinance, pulling out some capital to then buy potentially two new places. So wrapped up in this episode, we have strategies of vendor take back, we have strategies of negotiations, we have strategies of um, of refinancing, we have strategies of renovations, we have strategies of rent to own, and it is all wrapped up in one pretty bow. So the other thing I'm going to have you pay attention to as well is stick around right to the end. Um, Kevin gives a pretty powerful declaration of what he wants to accomplish and what his goals are for his real estate investing goals and his dreams and aspirations and a number. He actually gives a specific number towards the end of this episode of what he would like to have accomplished by what day. And you could just see the clarity. Now, if I were you guys, you might want to make sure you watch and listen right through to the very end and make note, I actually have that date marked in my calendar because I'm going to be checking in with Kevin to see how he's doing against that goal. But I'm not going to give it away. You guys have to listen and you have to watch for this entire episode to get that number. So sure, guys, hope you enjoy this episode. And without any further delay, let's get right to it. Please help welcome Kevin Bunzelik. Hey, Kevin Bunzelik, how are you doing? Welcome to the show here today. Fantastic. Thank you. Hey, Kevin, um, quick backstory. We were just uh, having one of our 
coaching calls a couple weeks ago now it was, and you were just sharing this cool story of one of your latest transactions and a couple of your uh, rent-own deals. And you know what? We said, Kevin, we just need to share that story. So that is the reason why we're having this uh, recording here is we're going to just, we're going to just do some storytelling. And, you know, for guys, if you are watching this or listening to this, uh, we're going to try our best to really break down some of the numbers and follow the bouncing ball. But there are a few moving pieces to the story. And, um, and we're going to get into the detail about some of these transactions you're doing. Because one of the things is it's just like, you know, here's the bottom line, you actually got paid to buy a piece of real estate, in essence, you're, you're actually going to get some money back after you qualify after you um, purchase this property. And we're going to dive into that story. So for if anybody is not familiar with who Kevin Bunzelik is, Kevin, can you just give a little bit of a short Coles Notes version of your story here for everybody? Who you are? Sure. Born and raised in uh, Thunder Bay. Uh, my dad was a contractor, so kind of grew up doing all kinds of construction stuff. Went to business school graduated and I, I needed something to do and I needed a place to live. So real estate was a great fix. Uh, I, I bought a rundown sixplex, moved into it, started fixing it up, started renting it out. Um, was kind of doing construction in the summers and my real estate fixing and renting in the wintertime uh, for a few years and then quickly realized I was making more money on the real estate part-time. So quit the construction job and uh, that's when things really just started blowing up and just uh, I built my own construction team working on my own properties, uh, fixing them up, managing them up, renting them out, did some flips and uh, I haven't looked back since. Right. You're, you're also, um, you know, you and I have shared uh, a couple of recordings over the last little while here. And as I've gotten to know you a lot more, I would consider you probably one of the best kept secrets in this country from a couple of reasons. Number one is that you're you're a phenomenal real estate investor. And, and, you know, underneath the surface, Kevin is just swimming underneath that surface. And he's just doing deals left, right and center. And you actually don't broadcast a lot of the deals you're doing. And we're going to share a little bit about that now. But you're also one of the original podcasters out in the Canadian real estate space. And you, you know, maybe talk about the podcast that you created way back in the day and, and share a little bit of those resources that you've done. I suppose so. I was involved with my, uh, my, uh, local campus, uh, radio station. So I was like, uh, started that in 2004, back when I was like at Lakehead university and I had a, a show like DJ and a music show. And, uh, when I started in real estate, I had this idea in the back of my head to do like a real estate program. And it was just kind of sitting there and, and, uh, I was like, oh, I probably don't know enough, but, uh, some years went by and I was kind of like revived the idea, like, Hey, this would be a great idea. And, um, just, uh, swung it by the station manager there and she thought it was a fine idea too. So it started out that way. And, uh, just, yeah, started getting on the phone with all kinds of investors around Canada, around North America. And, got to interview uh, a whole bunch of amazing people. It kind of turned into my own weekly little coaching session where I get to ask them like all the, all the questions I had and everything I wanted to know. So it was a way for me to learn as well as, as share my things I was learning and things I was doing as well. So, yeah. When was the, when was your first episode that you launched? Oh, I think uh, 2015. 
So in the summer, summer of 2015, maybe. So you were, you know, sorry for I'm using the term called the OG, the original gangster. You were one of the original, one of the original hosts of the of the real estate podcast space and within Canada. I think there was only maybe one or two other uh, people playing that, and it's almost everybody. Everybody's in the space now. So we all we all are standing on your shoulders. By the way, Kevin. Yeah. What was some of the key lessons you learned from doing that, um, from doing that, that show? Like if you were, I know we'll, we'll get into the story of your, um, of your deals, but what were some of the key things that you learned f- from two, two perspectives? Number one of producing a, po- a, a, a podcast show. And the second is one of the couple of the biggest lessons you learned from your guests. Uh, doing it, I think like, um so because i was involved with the radio station like it wasn't just a podcast i was doing it was a podcast i was doing and i probably would have most people they do five or ten episodes and then it kind of fizzles away and i'm i could see that uh, you know i might have done that had it been just a podcast i was doing because i was involved with a radio station and committed to putting on a radio show for this you know fm station i had to produce a show every week so um uh, you know, I had to do one every week. So this consistency um, is what allowed me to, I mean, do that. And I think, you know, that's a lesson for the podcast to, you know, if you're going to do something like that, you need to do it consistently. Uh, and then, you know, same with, I guess that's, a, you know, same with any business or anything. It's the same thing, right? You don't need, you don't need massive results as long as you're consistently doing, you know, what you need to do. You're eventually going to get the results. Yeah. And I know um, one of the best feedback I had when somebody, when I was considering doing my podcast, it's probably one of the reasons why it was you know, delayed. Not that I make an excuse, but the person said, if you're not willing to commit for at least three years, don't do it. Um, because it does take time. And and when you sit there and you look at some of your download, download numbers, and it's like seven people. <laughs> and usually, what do they say? Your first 30 episodes are not very good. Yeah. So Kevin, you're going to be falling within one of my first 30 episodes. So we're going to make this an amazing episode, aren't we? Yeah. And then you asked me what I learned from the people. Um, so I guess it was interesting that a lot of them had kind of similar, even though they were doing very different things, a lot of them had similar messages. Um, I'd have to think about it more carefully to know what they are, but like um, building that team around you, having the power team is something that you know, almost every successful person does, um, you know, and that was a lesson I, I took a long time to learn because I was one of those entrepreneurs that wanted to do it, do it all myself. And, you know, I was doing all the construction and I was doing everything myself. And then, you know, slowly, slowly finding the right realtor and the, and the other people to help me with construction and, and kind of bringing that team together is what actually allowed me to expand and, and, you know, do more deals ultimately. Nice. Nice. So just for perspective for everybody here, and it's funny on one of our um, webinars we were doing, we just kind of floated out this, oh, by the way, here's what Kevin has done. And everybody just said, oh, wait a minute. What what did you just say? So how, how many properties have you transacted would be the first question. Like, well, you know, it has to be whether you do it dollars or, or, or door number, whatever you feel comfortable sharing. What, how many transactions have you done? Dollars or door number. I don't, know the dollars um how many how many I titles manage, i currently manage like 40 40 rental units i yep. guess yeah so and yeah. you own those yourself 40. yeah okay and i've done you know five flips or so i don't really 
prefer to do my own properties, flip them to myself essentially. But yeah. uh, when I first quit my job, I, I sold them to kind of keep the money flowing. Yeah. And then you, and then, okay. So, so first of all, 40 places is a phenomenal accomplishment. Like most people will never, ever get there. Um, but then you said something very shortly after that, that got everybody's attention. So you have transacted 40 properties or purchased 40 properties. And then you said 40 some units. 40, 40 units, sorry, 40 units. And then you said something without, and then what did you say after that? I haven't used a bank to buy any of them. So you have acquired until now. <laughs> you have, you've acquired forty units without qualifying for bank financing, traditional bank financing, or bank financing yeah. in general. Well, I've since refinanced some of them through banks, but the original purchase hasn't been. I haven't used a single bank to buy any of them, um, and I haven't. I haven't been able. It's because I haven't qualified, right? I didn't have. I had a summer construction job, basically a seasonal job. Um, and then I had no job and, you know, had I thought things through better, I probably would have qualified for a few more mortgages before quitting my job, but I didn't know any better. And, uh, I, 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 you know, just found another way to do it. So, yeah. Yeah. And so if any of you are having that excuse, not, I'm sorry if that's a harsh word, but you know what it might be. And I think it is an excuse that, you know, I can't qualify for financing. If you have that thought process in there in your mind, you go, geez, well, how can I move forward acquiring properties? I can't qualify for financing. We're going to talk, we're talking to somebody here who essentially has built his entire portfolio without purchased his entire portfolio without bank financing. Right. Um, so what would you say to somebody that came to you and said, geez, you know, Kevin, I, I, I can't qualify for financing. How, how can you help me? Uh, well, there's, um, you know, several different ways to do it. So I guess it depends. Uh, you know, it helps to have, uh, I mean, ideally you have uh, a bank full of money that you can just <laughs> buy it with cash. Eh? That's the easiest way, I suppose. But there's, you know, private lenders, joint venture partnerships, um, you know, a bunch of different kind of creative deals that you can do. So I would suggest learning one or multiple ones of those and then kind of sussing out deals that will those parameters yeah now we're we're you you are bringing out a program where you're going to help people i think the the working title isn't it buying without banks is that is that still on the horizon to come out uh, in 2020 yeah so there's going to be at different sessions on how to um navigate those different strategies so how to how to deal with private lenders uh vendor take backs uh, agreements for sale like all, all kind of all the strategies I've used to build my portfolio, essentially. Yep. And I know we'll we'll share some contact information at the end, but so I would highly recommend guys just, you know, stay tuned, more details. But before we get to that, why don't, uh, could you share your contact information if anybody is interested, maybe sign up, signing up or getting advanced notice of that information? What's the best place to get you, reach out to you? Uh, email, I guess, is kevin at lifestylehousing.ca. Kevin at lifestylehousing.ca. Okay, guys, write that one down. If you are interested in purchasing properties without banks, write that one down. All right, so let's let's dive into the story of your latest transaction. Now, I'm going to put a little context in this. Um, Kevin's, you've been doing this 13 years, 14 years. How long have you been doing this? Yeah, I bought my first property. It was uh, it, 
2007, yep. June, June, I guess. And you've invested a lot of time and effort into coaching and and courses and training and materials to educate yourself on this whole process. So we're going to talk about a transaction that might be a little bit more of on an advanced side. Would you agree with that, Kevin? Yeah. Like this uh, would be what a, are we talking about? <laughs> yeah, the, the story that we're going to share about the, your latest transaction. There's going to be a little bit more of an advanced transaction. Okay. Yeah. There was, there was lots of things going on there. But. Yeah. And, and it's probably, it might be a difficult one if this is going to be your first transaction, but however, there's a lot to learn from this, what we're about to share. Okay. So why don't I just step back for a second? Tell us the story about one of your latest transactions. Give us some of the strategy and I'll just jump in from time to time for some clarification. Well, the one I'm refinanced for this, I purchased a year and a half ago. So, um, but I'm, I don't know if you wanted to talk about that one, but I'm more excited about that because um, that's that's more what I like to do and, and uh, it turned out very well for me. Okay. So a year and a half ago, you purchased a property. Talk to me about that. A year that. and a half ago. And uh, yeah, it wasn't a spectacular good deal. It came up on MLS. Um, I saw it originally and, you know, I think I was on another project or didn't have a lot of capital or something, but initially didn't, didn't even pursue going to look at it or anything. It was just kind of uh, the type of house I would do and in, in an area I like. So I just kind of left it there and it was listed for, um, you know, several months, two or three months on the MLS. Um, and then eventually I came back to it. I guess I was looking at properties and kind of came back to it and did a little digging. And I noticed that, you know, the current owner had owned it for 30 plus years. He's had it uh, six unit building. Um, you know, great area, but, you know, quite run down because he, I mean, he owned it for a long time. He's had some long-term tenants. Uh, he had some drug dealers living in there as well. So, I mean, there's his motivation for selling. He had this place a long time, probably paid it off several times. And, you know, now he's got to deal with these, uh, all this, you know, nonsense tenant, which he doesn't want. So put it up for sale. Um, so I kind of, my initial inquiry on it was, you know, hey, how would he feel about, uh, holding the financing on it, you know, being the bank essentially for me. And, and I feel like he's the perfect candidate because, you know, he, he's, ha he's had it paid off most likely. He's, he likes getting those monthly checks probably, but is probably a little tired of definitely a little tired, especially now that his tenants are no good. So, you know, in, in this scenario, I could pay him a monthly check without him having to deal with the tenants or anything. So he was probably earning, you know, as much or more from, from my mortgage payment that he was from the building, you know, dealing with the tenants and all that nonsense or whatever. So yeah, the listing agent said, uh, yeah, we could probably work something out. Um, so I negotiated the purchase on that. Um, he agreed to hold a vendor take back mortgage for three and a half years at a 4% interest rate and at a monthly payment that worked out to like a 21 year amortization. And he held, uh, it was like 80% of the value of, so I purchased it for 292, 292,000. He carried uh, 255,000 was, was his mortgage essentially. So I put, you know, 13% down. Had I been able to qualify for the bank at that time, um, you know, I probably would have gotten the same rate. Um, I would have had to put 20% down. I would have been paying for the appraisal. I would have been paying my lender fees, et cetera. So, you know, that turned out to be quite a good deal, um, getting it from him. And, 
yeah, he agreed to hold it for three and a half years. Um, I, in all those offers, I put that it'll be an open mortgage so that I can pay the balance out in full at any time without penalty, um, which turned out to be important in this case because I did, I am paying it off, you know, a year and a half later. Um, Kevin, just one quick question here. Um, the $34,000 to close, where did, where did that come from? Uh, I, I came up with that. Oh, you had, you had cash or was it a line of credit or where? Uh, cash, yeah. Cash. Okay. So cash is, cash is still, <laughs> still a preferred, come on, uh, uh, it's still a preferred way to, to buy real estate too, right? You can still use yeah. cash. I think I had, um, I'm not sure where exactly it came from. I think I sold, uh, not too shortly before I sold one of my flips. So essentially um, you had some cash available. So you, but the news is no, no bank qualification. And you got in with only a 13% down payment on this property on financing terms that were probably what bank was going to be offering. Yeah. So when I analyze the property, I look at it uh, two separate ways, the numbers on a property like this. So I look at the current, the current numbers. So what, and the current rents, there was five units rented. Um, They're all like below market value. So I do those five at what they're currently renting at and the six at what I could rent it at right away um and i analyze the numbers that way and then i do a performa what would it be rented uh once i fix it up and rent it out at market values what do the numbers look like that way and i try to term, determine from that an after repair market value so i use like the income valuation approach what it's going to be worth once i fix it up and get it rented out for um at the full market value so, so if I'm doing this correct, and I hope guys, I hope you pick this up, you you acquired a sixplex, essentially six rental units for under three hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, that's not three hundred thousand dollar deposit. That's total of three hundred thousand dollars, right? Um, what market are you in, Kevin? Thunder Bay. Thunder Bay. So there yeah. are those kind of opportunities that are out there. Yeah, and I mean, this was a kind of rundown one with with drug dealers in it. Um, you know, with the current rents and and the mortgage I was paying, I was looking at, you know, around $700 a month would be my positive cash flow. So it, it was still, you know, making money right away. Um, and then, so I'm looking at the after repair market value. Um, conservatively, what's, and, you know, it turned out to be quite conservative since I've refinanced it, but I go conservatively, what's it going to be worth in, you know, once I fix it up and have it rented out at full market rents. So I came up with 450,000. Um, so this is how I, I come up with my offer price. I start at, you know, the after repair market value, 450,000. And then my sweet spot, what I want to pay for the place is 80% of that, less the cost to get it there, less the repair cost. So 450 times 80 is 360,000. This place needed about $70,000 worth of repairs to get it there that puts me at 290 and that's my sweet spot because i'm refinancing it at an 80 percent loan to value so if i can pay 290 put 70,000 into it and then get an appraisal at 450 get a loan for 360 i'm essentially able to pay off my mortgage get the capital i put down and get all my renovation costs i'm getting all my money i put back into it back to me so that I can go do it again. Yeah. Yeah. Now, but, but here's the thing guys, and I hope you guys are picked this up. This was, this was a property that was sitting on the MLS, correct? 
Um, you had even mm. seen it once before, did you not? Did I hear that correctly? That you you even seen it once and then you weren't sure about it? Well, I actually originally took a client through there because um, I had uh, someone else interested in in buying it, and um, I wasn't really you know too eager to buy something at the time. But I took him through there, and he actually made, got an offer accepted on it. Um, but after I walked through, I was like, hey, you know, this is really something I can do. And you know, I let him pursue it. He got his offer accepted. It turned out to be, you know, he didn't want to go through all the work and the time involved. So he ended up backing away and I was like, well, I'll definitely make that offer. Yeah. So, so suffice to say, anybody who was interested in buying a piece of real estate in Thunder Bay at that time, a year and a half ago, could have bought this place potentially. Like there was nothing extra. It was not an off market deal. You didn't have to go out do outsourcing for, you know, to have people come and attract you. It was just a property that somebody wanted to sell. Okay. And so you creatively put the deal together, vendor take back. Um, you did your analysis. Okay. So talk to me about the process over the last 18 months of you holding this place. What was it? Was it a, a nightmare? Did you have to do some renovations? Did you have to kick out the drug dealers? What, what, uh, talk to me about some of that. Yeah. All of those things. So, uh, yeah, I took it over, uh, I guess. So December, 2018, um, again, five of them were rented. There was one vacancy. So my original plan, you know, I go into the vacant unit, fix that up to rent that out. And then, um, but when I took it over, two of the tenants weren't paying. So they didn't pay from when I bought it. They didn't pay. Um, I suspect they weren't paying the old owner. I don't know for how long they were, they were getting a free ride, but I suspect they weren't, weren't paying him for a while. So one of them was the drug dealer. And then another guy in the basement just wasn't paying at all. So, um, you know, I very quickly filed my evictions for that. The one guy downstairs, uh, as soon as I filed, he ended up moving out. So he made it easy. Um, the other girl kind of dragged it on until the sheriff came and removed her. Um, so now by that time, I'm done. I'm done the vacant apartment and then move on to renovate those other two. And then since then, uh, during that time, another person moved out, fixed up that apartment. Now I have four of them uh, rented at full market rents. Uh, I still have two of the original tenants. Um, you know, they're they're good tenants. They pay. They don't cause any problems there. So uh, they pay below market rents. But you know, I'm fine with that for the time being. I don't have to repair their units. Um, they're yep. they're paying their rent. So and imagine um, they were pretty happy to have you do the work of getting out the drug dealer and the deadbeats. Yeah. So the one the one was easy. She didn't uh, she didn't pay since I went. So it was you know it was a couple months, but it was easy enough to get her out. And then once she moved out, the neighbor upstairs, I guess, took over her business and, and started do, dealing the drugs as well. So um, it was, um, you know, and he was actually paying the rent for the most part, which makes it a bit harder. So I had to evict him for illegal activity. Um, but I filed for the eviction. Um, he didn't show up to the hearing. It was pretty easy to prove that he was, you know, not behaving himself. And, you know, it. Um, that dragged on until the sheriff came again anyway. So, um, you know, it took six to eight months to kind of get over that and then be able, and, you know, both those units were quite run down when I took them over. Yeah. Um, so, so some people, and, uh, you would probably tell people is number one is, you know, sometimes re uh, real estate investing and being a, a rental housing provider is not for the faint of heart. 
You have to have a pretty thick skin, eh, Kevin? Yeah, and fortunately, I have a good team now yeah. of people that help me out with that. So, um, you know, I had, had a guy who was dealing with a lot of the complaints and stuff around that and that. So, yeah. So, so um, when you correct me if I'm wrong with my number because I wrote this down and it sounded like it was about seven hundred dollars cash flow when you first took it over. Is that correct? That was based on uh, everyone paying. Their everyone, rent, yeah, so. paying. Okay. What what was the what's the cash flow currently on the place before the refinance? After you repositioned, got some new tenants in, and, and things like that. What's the property cash flowing now? Uh, so I'm just gonna guess by doing 700 plus the difference in the new rents. Um, Thirteen hundred. So essentially, you know, you've been compensated and rewarded for your time over the last little while of doing the work and renovating and evicting people and doing that. Essentially, you've almost doubled your cash flow over over this time, right? Yes. Well, the exciting part is the the refinance. Well, that's what we're just about to get to. You look at you. You're excited to just tell the story, okay, Kevin? Without further delay, let's talk about the refinance. So, what what is this place? right now what's it what's what's it valued at and, and tell me about the refinance so yes currently i've been you know dealing with a credit union that's that's you know happy to despite my lack of employment income happy to uh, to lend on my rental properties um so i've been you know getting a few mortgages with them and i asked them about renting this and i was like kind of kept my old market value i was like yeah it's probably worth about um you know, four fifty. I have this mortgage worth two fifty that I need to pay out, uh, and they said, "Okay, you know, we'll pay out that mortgage if it appraises for you know three eighty. And I was like, "Well, that should be no problem." Um, I went back, crunched the numbers again. Uh, like I said, I'm very conservative with my numbers. You know, I I want to know that it's if I say a value, it's you know definitely going to be worth that. So I do it quite conservatively. So I was doing it again to send to the appraiser. And, you know, a little less conservative this time to, to try and, you know, go by what the appraiser might think to, to give, it a, give it a higher value. Um, so here's another interesting thing. When I was taking the, the real estate uh, salesperson course, it said in the books that to appraise an income property, you know, we're doing the income valuation style. To do that, you would use, uh, you would use market rents. So if a, if an apartment's renting for five hundred dollars a month and the market rents a thousand dollars, you would use a thousand dollars as the income. And you know, as an investor, I'm like, no, no, that's that's wrong. You know, and I, I mean, as an investor in Ontario, because in Ontario you can't you can't increase the rent to a thousand dollars. If my rent's five hundred dollars, unless that tenant moves out, you know, I can only increase it by one or two percent this year. Uh, so until that tenant moves out, I can't rent it at the market value. And if they have, if they're only paying five hundred dollars a rent month, which is a real example for me, those tenants don't move out, right? Um, so that's something I was like, you know, I don't think I really agree with that. And I and I didn't, I did get an appraiser appraisal shortly after that, and I asked the appraiser that. I was like, do you use market rents or do you use the actual rents? And he was like, oh, I use the actual rents. And then the appraiser after I used someone else and they said, oh, we use market rent. So I'm like, well, that's the appraiser that I'm going <laughs> to refinance my properties with because they're appraising that, you know, an income that's much higher than I'm actually getting. So right now I have two of the existing tenants 
you know, one is paying 450, one's paying 550 for apartments that are worth more like eight, nine hundred dollars a month, right? So, um, the, the appraiser that I'm using now is using the market rent, so she's happy to use nine hundred dollars, um, because well, that's what they teach in the course, apparently. Um, but as an investor, I'm buying, I'm buying the income, so unless I have a plan to get rid of those tenants. Um, you know, the $500 is what you're going to be collecting for potentially a lot of years. So that's, I want to buy at the market rents. Uh, if my appraiser wants to use, sorry, I want to buy at the current rents. If my appraiser wants to use market rents, I'm fine with that. So I reran the numbers at the new current rents, uh, the new expenses, and I came up with closer to like 550. So I was like, oh, that's pretty good. That's what I sent the appraiser. She did her thing and came up with a value of 575 for that building. Okay. <laughs> you said an Sorry. awful no that's that's awesome <laughs> so so first of all i'm not i'm not trying to stop this the, the first thing i want to say is congratulations like that that's that's huge that's a that's an awesome success story you've said a, a whole mouthful and i just want to make sure i capture some of this number one guys as kevin said as just gold was you buy at market rents and you appraise and you um refinance at appraised rents like at at the at or you buy at the real rate, the real rent, and you get it appraised at the market rents. That's what you said. Is that correct? And if you can sell at market rents, yes, then, then all the power to yeah. you. But buy it, buy at current rents, sell at market rents, in essence, right? Yeah. Um, and so you you have it now appraised for five seventy five. When you did your first analysis, if I have my numbers correct, you you an, an analyzed this at four fifty, right? And you yeah. bought it at two ninety two. Yeah. So in in eighteen months, right? Is that correct? On a property yeah. that was on the MLS. So yeah, there was some appreciation there. The rents have <laughs> gone up. Um, you know, I like and like I said, I'm very conservative running my numbers. So. Yeah. Um, okay, so talk to me about the refinance. Like, how is that looking? What do you what's what's happening with the refinance of the story? Yeah, so now I, I'm my new my new interest rate. I'm getting a five year term on this, three point five nine, I think. So, um, and they're just paying out the existing mortgage, so the payments are a few hundred dollars less. So now the cash flow is going to be somewhere around sixteen hundred a month. Um, that includes, you know, property management, vacancy allowance, repairs and maintenance, everything. Okay, so the credit union is paying out the current vendor take back mortgage. Is that as a starting point? That's that's correct. Yes. So they won't they won't give me cash to go on vacation. They won't lend they won't give me 80% of that and let me put a bunch of money in my bank. But what they will do is they're going to look at my overall like so I have several mortgages with them now. And they want my overall portfolio to be, you know, so I have, they want me to have, you know, they want their loan to value to be there. Uh, but if there's extra room, which there is in this property, then they're willing to lend on another property uh, for, in, in this case, I'm just buying another property and they're lending the entire purchase price of that property. Um, and that was the agreement. If it, if it, if it appraised at 380, they would pay off the, the vendor take back and lend me the entire purchase price of this new property. So it appraises a lot higher. So 
now I have room to potentially do that for my next purchase as well. So even at a worst case scenario, if the bank, if all they would have done was just paid out your vendor take back, you got a lower interest rate, you got a lower payment and your cash flow went up, even at a worst case scenario, that's a win. That would you not agree? Um, Yep. But at the same time, the bank was in there is now because you have all this built in equity. So in essence, um, what would be the mortgage balance on that place now? Because the bank originally you said was 255. What's the balance today? Was Because there was an, a, an amortization schedule to that, was there not? Yeah, so it was like 248-ish or so. So 248 divided by 575. So you're you're at about like a 43% loan to value on that property, okay? So you have lots of equity on that property built in. Um, then you said something in passing there pretty quick that people might have just glossed over. But essentially, you're buying another property right now, correct? That's why you're doing this whole refinance is you're buying another property. So talk to me about this new property you're buying. Yeah, so I probably would have waited because I haven't done all the work to this place. I would have liked to do. There's there's a few more things to do, but um, I probably would have waited. But I, I yeah, I have this rent to own deal that came about. Um, I wanted to get the credit union to loan on it. Uh, they were happy to do that, and they were happy to do that. Uh, you know, I was talking about refinancing this as well, so. Um, you know, and it is a better rate, so it's good. It's good anyway. I probably would have done it anyway. Um, but because there's extra equity there, they're lending the entire purchase price of my new property. Yeah. So you you essentially you found somebody, and there's a whole other lesson here we could talk about just doing your rent to own deal that you're just doing right now. So in essence, you found somebody to do a rent to own, a rent to own tenant buyer, and they've found a place, and you've. Has the conditions been removed on that one? Yep. yep. You're you're moving forward. And then the Back for me, yeah. yeah, and then the credit union is lending the purchase price on the rent owned property, all wrapped up in the refinance of paying out the vendor take back. Yes. And my tenants already paid me their option option deposit, which will more than cover my closing costs, legal fees. Uh, Etc. So I'll be putting money in my, I, I'll be, you know, essentially paid money to buy this property. And then, hey, for the first time, because I've, I've normally done these fixer upper type properties that take a year, a year and a half to become cash flow positive and turn around. But this will be the first property I purchased where I'm having a tenant move in and it'll be cash flow positive from day one. Wow. And and you're probably going to like that process a little bit more. It's less It's less work on your part. Yeah. So, yep. so talk to me about the rent own purchase. Walk me through some of the the details of that one. What's the um, so? How much did the tenant buyer put up? Five thousand. Five thousand. Okay. What's the purchase price of that property? That is uh, sixty six thousand dollars. Sixty six thousand. Okay. So the credit union that you did the refinance for is giving you the full purchase price of the of this deal. Or how yep. much? How much were they giving you? Sixty-six thousand. So they were essentially hundred percent financing you on this, but that mortgage was attached to your sixplex, which you had the extra equity that we told the first part of the story. Correct. 
that's why they were willing to lend the whole purchase price. Yes. Because you had, you essentially your sixplex guaranteed the collateral for this new purchase. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So after closing, so calls, I only owe. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say, even though I only owe 250 on the, on this mortgage, they're going to register on title a mortgage for a higher amount so that um, they have their security. Yeah. So essentially on the sixplex, that was what, 248, I think you said, plus now 66 equals 314, 315, and divide that by 575. You're still only at a 55% loan to value on that place. So, wow, well done. Now, this rent-owned property, okay, so got a $5,000 deposit, and that's how you, you said, you know, there was probably about $2,000 in closing costs. So, in essence, because of the deposit they gave you, you probably got to pay a check for about $3,000 to acquire this property. Yeah, and they're going to pay me their first month's rent. I probably as or before it closes as well. So, <laughs> so that's guys. That's how you get paid to buy a piece of real estate. Now, okay. So, the rent own deal, um, sixty six thousand dollars. What is the contract price you have with the tenant buyer to sell it to them at? So that'll be in three years for I believe seventy nine thousand. Okay, 79. And what is your estimation um, money that you're going to make from this rent-owned transaction, assuming this one tenant goes through with it? Sorry? What's, what's your estimated return on this property, uh, on your rent-owned transaction, assuming that this tenant does, does go through with the purchase of it? Yeah, well, if you don't invest any money into the deal, then it's an infinite return. Right. This is true. But what, okay, let's talk about this instead of a return number. Let's talk about a profit number or, or not profit, a total payout at the end to you. So, so you're selling it for I'm seven. Looking, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Looking to make about uh, close to 20,000, 18,000 or so. So 18 to 20 That's cash flow and profit on the sale. So essentially you're potentially going to make 18 to 20 K on this property on a property that you got paid $3,000 to buy in essence. Yeah. And the, and the tenants are going to do all the snow, all the grass. Um, they're going to even renovate. They've have plans to do renovate the bathroom already. <laughs> so, so, so guys, I, I, I know we talked a lot of numbers and we went through this fairly quickly. Sometimes people are just sitting there going, okay, I need the spreadsheet. I need to see this and stuff like that. And, and I get it. I totally understand that. But, but here's the, really the key message that I want to share with you guys is um, when you do deals and when you have transactions, just the creativity of it is where the deal can happen. Is that not, would you not agree to that, Kevin? Yeah. Yeah. Oftentimes you can just kind of make a deal by structuring it the right way. Right. Yeah. And, and just dealing with private financing and vendor take backs. Now here, here's the next question I have for you, Kevin is uh, Mr. Vendor take back. What's his plans with his, uh, with his money that he's going to be getting. So, yeah, I'm not sure. I kind of asked him about that. Um, 
he was fine to keep it. But actually what's funny is that I was like, I didn't tell him how my appraisal turned out, but I was like, you know, I, I kicked out the, the trash there and it's been going really well. And he was like, Oh yeah, that's why we sold it. Um, and then I said, yeah, I'm looking for more of these types of properties. If you know of any for sale. And he actually said, well, I have another house that I'm been th- kind of thinking about selling. And my sister has a threeplex that she wants to sell. So now I'm kind of pursuing some of those opportunities. Wow. And, and, and so he, potentially this person that you're going to cash out could be an investor, potentially might be a private lender. They might just really, they might just really like you paying them interest on their money. Right. So, so that's definitely an avenue, but then also it could turn into another couple more properties that could come from somebody who, who already knows and trusts you that you've proven that you, you execute against deals. Yeah. They certainly might be willing to lend on, on their other properties they're selling. So well, and I imagine you probably used language something as, you know, would you like to still re- would you like to still get those monthly checks that I've been given? Were they monthly or were they quarterly? How were you paying them? Monthly, yeah. Would you still like to, because sometimes people would sit there and go, geez, uh, uh, that monthly check is going to start going away. Yeah. And he might not be able to get that kind of return. Who knows, right? Um, but you did say something very early on that he was getting more of a check from you being a lender than he was probably dealing with all the stuff with the tenants. Yeah. He had tenants that weren't paying vacancies, um, you know, and he didn't have a mortgage, but so it was probably okay. But you know, now he doesn't have to do any work and still get paid. But yeah, I think the best part about the private lenders and that is, is that flexibility, right? I can, I can ask for an open mortgage and they're fine with it. I can, you know, a lot of my flips, what I've done is I've, pay no monthly payments and just do a lump sum payment at the end. So all the interest is kind of deferred till the end because on a flip or when you're renovating, you don't have that income coming in. Right. So, um, you know, just different things like that, that the banks, you know, aren't really keen to do. Yeah. Oh, so, so really it's kind of a, a tale that you're telling here is, you know, sometimes maybe you just need to get in, get your feet in, you need to get in the game. And the only reason why you're able to do this next rent own deal today is because of actions you took a year and a half ago. And the action you took a year and a half ago is now paying off to you today that you can actually acquire properties with no, with, with absolutely none of your own capital in. And you also have another rent own that you, on our, our conversation just recently, you just shared that potentially have another rent own that's, there you're negotiating on right now has that is that closing have you seen the place what's going on there i have an accepted offer on it so it's conditional right now uh, i haven't even seen the house but my tenant buyers have they like it uh, they want to buy it so now is, is the credit union going to lend on that one as well potentially so that's that's my uh that's my plan number one so um i'm looking to get hopefully 100 percent financing on that one too wow so potentially from one deal 18 months ago, you potentially could get another two free properties in essence, right? Free from a standpoint of when I say free, not that there's zero dollars free from a standpoint that none of the money comes out of your pocket to, to buy the place. Yeah. All for a property that was on the MLS that any other person could have probably purchased. Do you still have uh, conversations with the guy that didn't go through with the deal? Do you know them? Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> did you? Did they? Do they know the story of this now? The full story? 
Uh, no, I haven't chatted with him about it <laughs> since the since the appraiser all in that. But uh, yeah, I mentioned that I got rid of the drug dealers and it was going well. And he was like, you know, well, I wasn't really in a place at the time where I could have done that. But, you know, good for you. Yeah. Kind of thing. Now, I know you're also a licensed realtor in Thunder Bay as well. And this is a comment uh, a good friend of mine had, had said, but he's a licensed realtor too, but he's also a real estate investor. And he said that he goes, guys, you make, you know, you can sell places. That's great. But you actually make your money if you're buying the places, right? So make sure that you're always investing and you're always the buying on side of things, but you're happy to help represent people to sell their properties if they need to sell at the same time. Okay, so... What what are some of the key lessons that somebody who's watching and listening to this episode, what would be some of the lessons that you would leave with people here? And I know this can be just completely off the cuff and we're just having a conversation. Um, what were some of the lessons that you would leave for somebody if they're looking to do these kind of a deals? Yeah, I just thought of one there. That's maybe a new one that we haven't touched on. But, you know, since I became a realtor, it's only been the last two years. But since then, I have purchased quite a few more properties than I have before. And the reason for that, the the only reason for that is because I've been making more offers on properties. I've been seeing more properties and I've been writing the offer. So the key lesson is to just, you know, write an offer. You can't buy a property without writing an offer on it. And, um, you know, go visit the property, figure out how you can make it work for you and try that offer out, you know, and, and, you know, you got to figure out how you can make like a win-win situation where, you know, that seller is going to benefit and, and you can still get the deal done. So it's going to work for you and write that offer. And the more offers you write, you know, I get a lot of offers rejected, um, you know, <laughs> a lot of them. But, you know, when I see a property I like, I write an offer on it. And eventually they stick or we can work something out, right? So that's that's my main lesson is to just... You don't make an offer. No, yeah, it's it's where the rubber hits the road. Is you will not ever, you will never acquire a property without writing an offer, right? So, what would be some other one you want to maybe uh, share? Another so so really, and I'll give you a moment to think about this. So, I'm just gonna I'm gonna recap for you guys just some of the strategies that was used in this in these transactions here. So, you did a vendor take back. You took a problem property. You transitioned the problem property, you renovated it, you got it reassessed at a new valuation down the road. And with the reassessment of that reevaluation, you're using that available equity to buy some rent to own deals that you're negotiating on right now. Um, had you ever done a rent to own deal before these, these, these two, Kevin? Nope. It was just something you just decided in January this year when we were setting some goals, didn't you? You just say, you know what, I think I'm going to do a rent to own deal or two. Yeah, try something new. Yeah, you're, you're you're just one of those guys that just you know when you put your mind to it, it's just like you just you just instantly implement. It's like you're 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 one of the best implementers I know of things that we talk about. And when we have when we have some conversations, you just instantly go out and you just do it. So walk me through how you learned how to do rent own, and what steps have you taken on your rent own process? What have you done? What's step number one? How I learned. Um, I well, I learned about it quite a while ago. I originally originally from a book. Um, Mark Loeffler's book, maybe. 
Yes. Yes. That sounds right. That's it's quite thorough and, and explains the process uh, very well and was available at my public library, I believe. So um, and it, it gives all the numbers and basically A to Z on how he does it. Um, and then, you know, since then I've interviewed multiple people on my radio show on their rent to home process, how they do it. Um, and uh, yeah, so when I when I originally decided to do it myself, I was kind of the first thing I did was I kind of had an idea of how it went. But the first thing I did was kind of dig into the spreadsheets on, you know, how I can analyze my returns, um, how much, you know, of a deposit I should take, how much the rent's going to be, how to get because very important is that the tenant buyers are going to qualify for the mortgage at the end of the term. So how to analyze applicants uh, from a qualification perspective. So uh, before I'm looking at, will they make a good tenant? Now I'm looking at, will they make a good tenant? And can they buy this property from me in at the end of the rental term? So right. there's those two considerations. So that was the new one I had to add to it. Um, so really step one is to to know your numbers and to do the analysis on what does a, a deal look like would be really the, the part, the foundation to start with. Yeah. And then after that, how to how to attract tenant buyers, how to advertise for and how to communicate with them and, and running them through the funnel. I mean, there's there's a lot more education involved, like people are interested, but not really sure how it works. So you kind of need some systems in place to teach people about the process and shift through a lot of the tire kickers in order to get to, yep. you know, those one or two good applicants. And then, you know, they're buying homes that I'm okay to own anyway. So, um, so what know, did you do? Uh, what did you do to attract the potential tenant buyers? Where did you advertise? What did you do to attract the people that are, um, buying from you now? Yeah. So originally thought I, thought it would be a lot more complicated. I would need the big website and all this fancy stuff. And <laughs> that's the point I'm trying to get to. It's it's actually yeah, simpler than you think. <laughs> you know, let's start like, you know, eventually it was like, hey, let's let's simplify this a bit. Um it ended up just being like a Kijiji and Facebook ad, a very simple ad with a short paragraph description on, you know, what the program is and what I'm looking for. And then when people reply saying I'm interested in more information, then I have an email that I just, it's a template email that I copy and paste to them. Uh, as you know, I like those a lot. So I send the same email to everyone who's interested and it explains the program in more details. This is how it works. This is what I need to qualify. If you're interested, let me know and I'll send you an application. Right. So nope, there I don't hear back from most people. And then some do follow up and say, yes, I'd like an application. And that's when I send them an application. Yeah. So essentially you put one ad on Facebook and one and some ad and some posts on Kijiji. That's really all I did. And what is the what is the gist of the ad say? It doesn't have to be word for word, but what is the really what's kind of the the top line summary of what it says? Sort of like, you know, tired of renting, um pick the home you want and, and move in now and you know, rent to own. Um so yeah, I'm doing a tenant first rent to own where where I'm selecting the tenant, and then once I've approved a tenant, uh, they're allowed to go choose whatever house they want, uh, you know, with my approval, of course. But they go shopping for a house, and then I buy it for them and rent it to them. Yeah. So, so essentially, you just ran the ad. People would then reach out to you. I imagine was was it phone call or your email? What did you give them as a call to action? 
email email and then when they contacted you you just sent them off a templated email which you saved in your in in gmail and it just explained a little bit a little education you've never met these people yet have you no no you just send it off and then from there people will say we're interested and we'd like to fill an application yes or no Mm -hmm. out of every 10 people that contact you how many applications do you feel think you send out give or take uh, I don't know, one. One? Yeah. And when that application comes back, um, what do you look for in the application? Yeah, so again, like, number one, are they are they a tenant I would want? Would I rent them one of my properties? And then number two, I'm looking at the tent, like they're... So I've, I created a new application for my rent-to-own. So I have my rental application, and I created a rent-to-own application, which is pretty much the same, except for now I look at their total assets and their total liabilities. So I want to know how much they owe on their credit cards and what the monthly payment is, how much they owe on their uh, car payment, you know, what the monthly payment is. And then I'm doing some, you know, quick debt service ratios to kind of see how much home they could afford. Um, you know, what they could afford based on their income and then based on their debt, what they could afford. And will they qualify for this mortgage in, you know, so many years if we set up the right plan for them to fix their credit, uh, pay off those debts, et cetera. Right, right. Okay. So, you know, it's not a it's not a big leap from being a rental housing provider and qualifying people on an application there to doing a rent-to-own potential. You're just asking for a little bit more financial details and see what they can essentially qualify for as an asset and see if they can maybe qualify for a mortgage down the road. Yeah. That's the big thing is you have to learn what, what essentially, and you could partner, probably partner with a mortgage broker and have them go talk to a mortgage broker or a credit coach and kind of see what they need. But I've, I learned kind of, you know, some various things like what, like if their credit score is X, how long would it take them to get it up to what, what kind of credit score are banks looking for? What debt service ratios are banks looking for? So I'm kind of, I've learned about the qualification terms, which I, I knew as someone who's qualified for mortgages and someone who's a realtor. So it wasn't a hard stretch for me, but that's that's the extra piece that you need to go from yeah. a, a landlord to a rent-to-own landlord. And, and 100% can be done. So essentially you then, some people... And, and here's here's the point, guys. If you don't feel comfortable doing those kind of things, I know many people that do these kind of transactions that just partner with a mortgage broker and send the application to the mortgage broker and let the mortgage broker do that work, right? And some mortgage brokers do that. They might charge a fee. They might have it as a service. One of the things they might want to do is the mortgage broker might want to get the lending business when you buy it. They also might want to lend to the rent-owned tenant buyer. You know, there's got to be something in it for them if they're going to do that and some charge a fee for the, for the credit counseling at the same time. So do you offer any kind of service or credit counseling or some education for people along the process? Uh, and I know this is new for you because these are your first two, right? Yeah. So I, and that was my plan, but it's, it's going to depend on, on the tenant essentially. So the current ones I have, you know, they're, they seem very smart. They know exactly what they need to do. I'm probably going to just check in on them every six or 12 months yep. um, to make sure they're on track, you know. Um, but, you know, someone else might need a little more handholding and stuff. Yep. And essentially, you're just going to kind of, I guess the message is you're going to kind of 
just go with the flow and see what happens. Like some of them might just be, you know, how much down payment will they have at the end of the calculations that you've done with their upfront deposit plus their their option money? How much of a down payment will they potentially have at the end when it comes time to purchase? They depend on the term, but um, around 8%. Right. You know, you probably need, you know, well, you need minimum five. Um, ten's better, but eight potentially can work too, right? Or maybe they just have to come up with a little extra at the end. Um, how do you structure the payment on a monthly basis? Do you have a rent amount and then a option to purchase amount? Or do you blend them together and give a credit? Like, how do you structure those? Yeah, so they pay an initial uh, upfront option deposit. It's essentially a fee for their option. It gets credited back to them when they purchase. Yep. And then they pay a monthly rent amount and then and then another monthly amount that ends up getting credited to them when they purchase. Right. The credit's about 20% of the total rent that they pay monthly. Okay. So you've had um so somebody goes in, you've qualified them, you've done some of the quick calculations. It seems like there's a fit. Have you met these people yet? Have you like gone out and actually met them or do you just have lots of email or Zoom calls or how how is that how is that process? Yeah, so the one I'm doing is a current tenant of mine. Okay. They live in one of my rental properties, so I know they're good tenants yeah. and you know, so that was uh Oh, that's pretty easy there, but Yeah, smart. So now they go out and they go shopping. Like you tell them the parameters of what they can shop. You maybe pull some listings for them and say, this might be a good idea. This may be a good houses for you. Yeah. So yeah, essentially I'm going to be helping them shop like this one. I was, she had expressed interest. I said, I would like to work with them. Uh, I was out of town and then all of a sudden she started emailing me like, all right, we're looking at this property. We're doing this. And then eventually it was like, oh, we found the property we want. Let's, let's put an offer in. And I was like, oh, okay. So they essentially had already seen it and already done all the work for me. I was like, oh, okay, yeah. fine. <laughs> yeah. But you're, you know, you're going to go see the place and you're going to do your inspection because at the end of the day, if they don't purchase it, you, you're the one buying it. Right. Even though they're going to buy it from you. I look at sometimes on especially a tent, like we're talking here, tenant first. This is essentially a selling strategy. It's it's you're selling it to this person, but you have to first acquire it. Yeah. And so they paid for the home inspection, which I was able to see. Um, I mean, they have to they're buying it. They're already committing to buying it yep. now, so they need to do that due diligence up front. They need to. They can't move in and then say, "Oh, the condition's no good," because I've already collected these fees. They might not get back if they don't buy it. So they, I mean, they should be doing that home inspection and any upfront due diligence they need to. Uh, like this other one's a rural property, so they're going to be getting a, a well test on and stuff like that. They're going to be living there. They're going to be buying it. So, I mean. I want to know that's good, but so do they, right? Yep. And all of this is, you're manifesting all of this into reality because of some actions you took a year and a half ago. And you're, you're in essence, you're a creative real estate expert as you put together creative deals and you potentially acquire properties. Um, up until this, these last two, you acquire properties without using banks. In essence, you're using a bank to acquire these these two rent-owned deals, aren't you? Yeah, well, Technically. we'll see how the second one goes. Maybe I'll, yeah. maybe I'll find a partner or something for it. <laughs> you never know, right? So, well, are, do you look for, do you use investment partners for transactions? 
Uh, mostly it's been like private lenders and, and other strategies so I can um, do it myself. But yes, I have. Yeah. So with anybody who's listening or, or watching this show today, if they're interested in the Thunder Bay marketplace or would you be able to help them out maybe as either uh, represent them as a, uh, a licensed agent or maybe even do the work for them and give them a return on the money? Or, or are you open to that? Um, someone reaching out to you and see if there's some opportunities. Yeah, definitely. Okay. And one more time, what's the contact information? Uh, Kevin at lifestylehosting.ca. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we're right around an hour here, Kevin, and I know how crazy super busy you are and you've got the, um, you know, young family and you're, you're uh, full time in this game of real estate investing. And so just a couple things and one of the couple questions I always end off with, um, as follows is, um, what, what are some, maybe some final inspiring words you'd love to leave with people? Maybe they're, maybe they're just in search of some answers or they're just maybe feeling a little bit stuck or they're just, they're just looking for a little bit of a, some inspiration to keep going forward. What would you offer to somebody? Um, just, you know, get some help, find someone to help you through the process. Uh, that was another common theme from all the people I interviewed. Uh, there was, you know, close to 150 of them. They all use coaches and mastermind groups and no one, no one did it on their own. Like I said earlier, they all built a team around them. So, you know, you don't have to do it on your own. You can, you can get that help, get the team. If it means joining the course or paying a coach, it's, you know, usually more than worth it. Yep. Sometimes one of the fastest ways in is to buy your way in, Right. And, uh, you know, sometimes you don't have to go through the 10, 15 years of trial and error, or if you can just tap into somebody else or somebody else's system or somebody else's resources, you potentially can just buy your way in and shortcut that, shortcut that process. So also yes, like you, you called ahead. me a creative and creative expert. Yeah. And uh, I'm kind of thinking like, I'm not sure if that's the case because everything I've done, I've just learned from other people, right? Like other people before me have done it and you know, I, I'll say that I've, I've copied them, right? Like I, I read the rent to own book. I interviewed the experts. I learned what they were doing. I, I started through the process. I asked people questions about it. I got in touch with other people who were doing it while I was going through the process. I talked to you about it. Um, and you know, and now it became a success, right? It wasn't by accident. It wasn't because of some, some great insight I had or something I was inventing. It was, you know, by, by surrounding myself with people who have done it and, and copying what they do essentially. Yeah. And, and I think the most important thing is you did the work you, you put, you know, you learned and lots of people, let's put it this way. There are, you know, tens, I don't know how many people that have read the same book as you were talking about. Uh, maybe there's tens of thousands of people, 20,000 people that read that same book. Not everybody has taken action from it. Right. So, so give yourself credit that you actually implemented the things you learned and, and you did the work from doing that. And you know what, put the work in, put the time and effort into expand your network and you will get the result at the same time. So awesome. Kevin. Oh, that's quite the story. <laughs> when we first go, I go, let's just tell this little story. And it's, it's like, there's like car crashes and drug dealers and there's, you know, renovations and there's uh, refinances and, and, and really how it all stemmed from just that one transaction of that one sixplex that was on the MLS that anybody could have potentially bought, how that 
um, blossomed into multiple transactions going forward. So one, one next question for you, Kevin, is what's next for you? What's this? You've, you've done a, you're like the original podcast host. You've done the Lifestyle Housing Summit. You've uh, kind of cranked out doing these creative deals. You're putting together a Buying Without Banks training program for people as well. What's the, what's the big vision for Kevin Bunsluck? Is that not enough? Or? No, I, I, hey, Kevin, that, I, if it says Russ, I've, that's enough. I need a break. But what is next for you? Is, is there a next or, or, cause I know, I know the hunger that you have and the passion you have for, for bettering yourself and helping others. Like, what is the next vision for you? I'm going to grow my, my rental portfolio for the time being. I have a goal to earn a million dollars of gross rent. Uh, by the time I'm 40. Okay. Uh, Kevin, a, a million dollars gross rent. Is that on an annual basis? Yep. Uh, what's that number at now? Do you have that ballpark number now? Uh, close to 400,000. 400. So you're 40% of the way. Um, How old are you today? I am uh, 35. 35. So five years. So guys, we're going to date this. It's going to be in the year 2020. Okay. When's your birthday, Kevin? October 23rd. Is it really? That's my wife's birthday. Same day. So October 23rd. I will definitely remember that that day. So October 23rd, 2025. Kevin Bunzelik will have $1 million of gross rental revenue in his portfolio or a run rate at that time. So guys, if you are watching this or you are um, listening to this podcast, Kevin just made it, or I maybe helped you make a declaration. Um, mark that in your calendar on October 23rd, 2025, that we're going to check in with Kevin and see how he's done on that goal. Do we have your permission to do that, Kevin? Yeah, and then once I get there, I'll probably uh, start selling some off, paying some of the mortgages down. Yep. Uh, maybe be the maybe be the vendor takebacker myself or the the private lender myself from there on in. But for right now, I'm having a great time. Nice, good for you. Well, I'm marking that date in my calendar, Kevin, to send you a birth. First of all, send you a birthday card in 2025 on that day, and also check in on how you're doing on your goal. And I know we'll be having lots of conversations along the way. I've been really enjoying. Um, working with you, you, you are, a, 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 like I said, you truly are a gift in this Canadian real estate investing land uh, community that I don't think enough people know who you are yet, even though you did the podcast. And I think you were the guy behind the scenes a little bit more, but I think it's time for Kevin to step into the, to the, to the front of the stage and, and be the, be the leading man, be the leading star of the show, because you have, a, you have so much that we all can learn from. So if I have, if I have my way or anything to do about that, I want to make, I want to help you become more of a, of a front and center uh, star in this whole, in this whole real estate investing space, even though you already are, but I think there's room that for you to expand. Yeah. I never really, until the podcast, especially, I never really shared uh, what I was doing with my real estate with, with anyone for some reason, I'm pretty private in general, but I would be like, dating girls who thought I lived in the bachelor pad, um, you know, which I was living in, but I owned the whole building, you know, I didn't, I didn't tell people that it was just like, 
Um, and then, you know, doing the radio show, I kind of had to started talking more about the deals I was doing, how I got started and stuff like that. So. Yeah. Well, there's an entire, and I, sorry if I'm going to go on a tangent here, um, for, you know, you've self said that you're fairly shy and introverted, right? How does a shy introvert be able to get on to and do a radio show and DJ and host a radio show? Like what, what did you have to do in order to, cause that's going to be pretty daunting for somebody who's maybe an introvert. What have you, what do you have to do as a process to do that? Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely interviewed, but I wouldn't, I, I don't consider myself to be shy. Okay. Um, there's a difference between those two. Okay. So, um, I'm I'm yeah. I'm using I'm putting my words I'm using my reflection. That's yeah. What I so am. when I originally started the radio show, um, it was kind of just our campus radio station was just getting started, so it was in this tiny closet, and it was it wasn't on the FM then. It was only broadcast over the internet. You can see how many people on the website were listening. There was like you know four to seven, and you know that included my mom. So it was it wasn't at all intimidating for me to just go like spin my favorite music. Um, and you know, I spent 14 years doing that, you know, uh, about a year in it, we got the FM license and became an FM channel and stuff like that. So, but by then it was like, I had already been doing it. It was pretty natural transition, uh, to have a talk show was a bit surprising to some people because I don't talk, but you know, when you start talking to me about real estate I can just go on and on about yeah. it. Yeah. There's something, and, and you and I have had this conversation. There's just something about presentation call. I call it presentation, Kevin, when, when Kevin's starting to do a presentation and when he starts sharing a story or sharing a deal, there's just something that clicks in you. And there's just something that, that you just, you light up and your smile and you just, uh, it's, it's a, you're almost, it's, it's not a different person, but there's, there's something that comes out when you're doing that. And it's because you did the work and you put the reps in and you did the reps when nobody was listening or nobody was watching and you put the work in, right? Wow. I, I, I sense another episode that we maybe can have a conversation about how to, how to maybe bust out of your shell, for people, because there's an awful lot of people in the same position that might be just a feeling and a little bit of a shell that just maybe need to have some strategies and how to bust out of that. So are you open for another another conversation down the road, Kevin? Anytime. How, how, how do you feel about being on the other side of uh, one of these podcasts or interviews, being interviewed as opposed to the person interviewing? Uh, it's, uh, it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> So, so from somebody who's done, uh, you know, 150 of these things, uh, how did I do today? So, cause this is all about me, by the way, it's not about you, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, this is, you're still under 30, so pretty crap probably, <laughs> but you'll get there. Oh, thanks, Kevin. <laughs> thanks for the encouragement, brother. <laughs> well, here's the fun thing is, is, is uh, it's fun. I'm, I'm enjoying it. And I'm, I learned it's like what you said earlier about just having these wonderful conversations. You just learned. And no matter, you know, here's the thing is I've been doing this for 20 plus years. I've seen, and, and I've had conversations with amazing people, people with, you know, potential billion dollar portfolios and all that kind of stuff. But each conversation I have with somebody, I learn something new. And that's just kind of the attitude I take of always taking something from the conversation and also contributing something to the conversation at the same time. And you have a lot to share. So Kevin, thank you very much. And from everybody, uh, one more time, uh, quick for contact information, if anyone wants to get a hold of you, Kevin, one more time. At Kevin at lifestylehosting.ca, cell phone 807-355-2869.
Can you repeat the cell phone one more time? 807-355-BUNS, it actually spells, 2869. So guys, here's a little incentive. If you actually stuck around right to the very end of this episode, you actually got to get Kevin's cell phone number. So I'm gonna, we're going to test if anyone stuck around right to the end. <laughs> okay, guys, have yourself a wonderful day. And until the next one, we'll talk to you soon. Bye for now. Thank you. Bye. So what did you think? What a crazy, crazy tale. It had it had everything from drug dealers and car chases and, uh, you know, refinances and vendor take backs and, uh, and uh, rent to owns and, you know, relationship with banks. It was funny. I almost had to, I had took like, like five pages of notes. I had to try to keep follow the bouncing ball along here because there was just, it was a lot, there was lots of and maybe we'll call this the onion deal, right? It was a lot of layers deep on that as well. So bottom line is I first want to just make sure I thank Kevin. Kevin, you are a fantastic real estate investor. You're a fantastic coaching client. You are an instant implementator. Everything we talk about, everything we do, everything I give you, everything, every challenge I put in front of you, you just, you know, it's like I ask you, do you got it? And Kevin looks at me, he goes, got it. And I know he's got it because he's an instant implementator. So guys, this was a deep look into a creative real estate deal. And it's amazing what can happen if you're in the market looking for deals, looking for good deals, creating good deals. The more strategies you learn, the more mentors, the more coaching you get, the more help and insight and resources you get, more deals come your way. And truly, this is just the tip of the iceberg for Kevin. Um, I see some great things in the future for him. He's going to be starting to build out his entire investor pipeline. And there's going to be lots of people that are going to be wanting to invest with Kevin along the way. And the final thing I'm going to share with you guys is I hope you got a chance to make sure you heard Kevin's declaration about uh, on his birthday, I believe it was his 40th birthday. And I wrote it down on my calendar. It's actually an appointment in my outlook as I'm going to be checking in with Kevin on that day just to make sure he hit that lofty target of a million dollars in gross rental income on the bias 40th birthday. So anyways, guys, uh, another wonderful episode. I just love bringing these things out. You know, you, you guys get the sense that I, I really love sharing and I really love um, inspiring people to greatness and I really love helping others on their journeys. Um, and if you're interested in wanting some inspiration and help in your journey, I can help you. I truly have. I have uh, multiple years of experience. I got an entire database of people who I can connect you with. I've got the tools and resources to help you elevate your game. So you don't need to be feeling stuck. You don't need to feel that you're going this alone. If you need help, there is help. There are resources available. And I'd love to be that guide to help you take your business to the next level. Okay, guys, until the next one, make sure you inspire people, encourage people, and always come from a place of love. Have yourself a wonderful day, everybody. Bye for now. Peace. Thank you for listening to the Russell Westcott Podcast. Before you run off, could you do us one final favor? Wherever you're listening to this episode, we encourage you to leave a review, share with your friends, and subscribe so you can receive the latest episode to keep you feeling inspired and encouraged for the entire week. Visit www.russellwestcott.com for more information, support resources, and upcoming speaking engagements near you. Bye for now.